Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Dr. Duke Show. I am Dr. Duke, and I am really, really pleased to be joined today by professor and author of a new book entitled Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities, Dr. Stanley Ridgely. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a great honor to be here. Uh, this book is is a revelation. I mean, I'm writing my own book, uh, and I'm, I'm I, and I know how hard it is. There's so much information about what's happening with the left on college campuses. I find myself finding it very difficult to to get a, a rope around the subject. It's so powerful and big. What you've done here is very concise. It's very readable. Uh, obviously, you are a, a very educated man, but you've you've written a book I think that is accessible to anybody. So before we do anything else, uh, give us more of your backdrop for people who don't know you. Uh, you have an extensive career. Tell us about where have you been and what you've done. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Uh, I do appreciate the uh, uh, the accolades. Um, I'm a former military intelligence officer, and uh, I served in, in uh, the Cold War in, in Germany for two tours. Um, I have a PhD in uh, strategic studies uh, focusing on the Soviet Union, and I also have an MBA, an international MBA, that led me to study in, in Paris and in Moscow. Um, um, and I've been uh, working in higher education now for about 15 years, starting at Temple University and over here now at Drexel University. In fact, I'm broadcasting right here from my office in West Philadelphia. That's where the magic happens. And uh, um, again, I'm, I'm delighted to be here and uh, talking about what I think is one of the crucial subjects of, um, of our time. It, it, this is an amazing story, and it's one that I was led to through my research over the past six, going on now seven years. Uh, in other words, it's not something that I contrived to write with some preconceived notions. It is something that I wrote as a result of my research over, over time. Well, let's talk about Brutal Minds, your book and the idea. The idea behind this is, is really, on one mm. level, it's really simple. On another level, it's very, very deep. That ultimately where we're heading is brutality. That what we're seeing from our universities, certainly over the last 25 years, mm. and you go all the way back to the 1960s, I'm sure, and before, is that what we're leading to is less critical thinking, less genuine discussion, less freedom of thought, and always, always down through history, the more of that you wander into, the, the more brutality that follows. Talk about the theme of your book. Well, the, the theme of the book is, is, of course, brutal minds and the idea that a group of anti-intellectualists are slowly taking over the university and imposing a, uh, an orthodoxy on the university. And they're doing this through all sorts of levers of power uh, that I'll get into as we as our conversation uh, uh, progresses. Um, but that's the, that's the essentially it, that there's this orthodoxy uh, that is very medievalist in a, in a sense, in the sense that um, if you don't believe and mouth the mantras of the orthodoxy, then you are identified as a heretic and you will be treated uh, accordingly. Um, the university has its own version of cancellation, which is the popular vernacular of you know, depriving people of platforms to voice their opinions um, and that sort of thing. The university has its own its own version, its own, um, I would say, it's very unforgiving uh, type of uh, uh, enforcement of this. Yeah, I, I've been, the, the fake Title IX claims, the uh, not hiring anybody who has anything that looks like a non-progressive thing on their, on their resume, not giving people promotion and tenure. I've been at seven different universities. I've been through it all. I've seen it happen to other people. Uh, let me mm -hmm. ask you, you brought up an interesting point. Who would you say 
Uh, people always ask me, because this is a broad topic, who's doing this, Dr. Pesta? Where is this coming from? Uh, where, is there any particular groups in particular that you single out uh, as being more responsible or mostly responsible for what we're seeing here? Yeah, well, I, let me first uh, uh, articulate what I think is the general view on, on, on higher, in higher education of the campuses that is somehow the faculty that are doing this. And my experience is that uh, uh, the majority of faculty are good people. They're just you know, sticking to their knitting, they're doing their research, they're doing their teaching. Um, they don't have time for this type of uh, ideological indoctrination that I, uh, or that I uh, accuse the universities of engaging in. Um, and some do. Of course, we have our gadfly faculty, and I know you're familiar with them, folks who uh, seek a, a, a public uh, a, you know, audience on Twitter and that sort of thing. But um, it's really not the faculty. It's the faculty, in fact, have been protecting this group of folks who are also on the university, who are indeed engaged in this type of indoctrination, or as I call it, or properly, uh, brainwashing. Who are these people? Well, they are, begin in the education schools, the schools of education. Two decades ago, schools of education developed a program of advanced degrees, whereby they would train people in crypto Maoist um, uh, ideology, grounded in Paulo Freire, and they would graduate these people in programs called educational leadership, higher education administration, student affairs. And they would then pipe these graduates into jobs on the university campuses that were created just for them. What I've just described to you is the first corner of a triangle in the beef and bones of the, of the university. Moving up to the second entity is student affairs. These graduates of the education schools who are marching in lockstep, goose-stepping along the Strasse, um, believe in critical consciousness, uh, the whole litany of uh, capitalist uh, patriarchy, etc., etc., and they um, believe themselves to be college educators. That's the term for themselves, college educators, on par with the faculty. And they indeed have set up a para-curriculum, a co-curriculum, they call it, that runs parallel to the actual curriculum, which is you know history, physics, uh, poli sci, sociology, that sort of thing. Over here we have the co-curriculum with fake instructors, fake curriculum, even fake transcripts, and that is where most of this indoctrination or brainwashing takes takes place. If I may, uh, uh, I'll, I'll stop right there, Duke, and uh, let you uh, react to that. I think what you said is, is powerful. And uh, just last year, I was reading an article about how the University of Michigan has 91 different diversity officers. Ohio State is 80-something. University of Wisconsin has more than 60, and they're making most of them are making more than $100,000 a year. So w when you take these, these educrats and you put them in these places in student government, they immediately start replicating themselves. And so right. what you get, and, and one of the things that really stood out about what you said is they think they're at least the equal of the faculty or superior. They don't have degrees in anything that really can be considered an academic discipline. This is just, uh, I make this point about education. You, you, you hinted at this. Education, when your daughter wants to become a high school teacher, it's not the education department that teaches her how to teach English or science or math. They farm those kids out to those disciplines. Ide education programs are exclusively ideology because there's no core content there. So no wonder it's so easily overwritten by Marxist theory because there's got to be something. They've got no subject matter to deal with. 
Right. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, we tend to think of student affairs people as the folks who, you know, just make sure the pizza's hot and the sound system works and, and the ultimate Frisbee game kicks off, you know, on time. Um, they conceive of themselves completely different. And I, and I agree with you on their, their self their self-arrogation of this importance that they are college educators. Um, and where are they getting this ideology and how is it reinforced? Well, the third entity that I talk about in, in Brutal Minds is you move down here off campus to the off-campus clubs. Now, these are professional organizations. There are two of them, and I'm not going to break out their, um, their uh, I guess, their, their acronyms. I'm going to hold it up right here for you. One is the ACPA and the other is NASPA. They're very important uh, in, in the sense that they they are act as crucibles for the crypto Maoist um, uh, ideology. They run institutes that tell people how to run these types of indoctrination programs on the campus. Uh, they offer uh, cargo cult, fake scientific, so social scientific journals. And um, but most important, most important is this: they set the standards for these graduate programs that are run in the education schools. Think about that for a moment. The student affairs professional clubs or organizations set the standards for the education schools um, uh, graduation uh, graduate programs. People go to these graduate programs, they graduate, they move into student affairs position on the college campuses where they begin to quote transform higher education. That's the motto of one of these professional clubs, boldly transforming higher education. Well, as far as I know, Duke, no one asked them to transform anything in higher education. As I said, keep the pizza hot and the sound system uh, running. Uh, so that's the triangle that I describe in Brutal Minds. Well, you mentioned one of the most famous examples of this is the Confucius Institutes, right? You have the Maoist government of China, to your point, funding, the, pumping all kinds of money into American public universities, getting these institutes. These institutes then are, are using that capital to transform the way communist China is viewed in Western universities, making it heroic and the future, uh, apologizing for the evils of, of Chinese communism, uh, pushing American down that road as well. That's probably, I would think, the most famous example of this over the last few years. Lots of exo exposés have been done about this, how all this money that universities were taking, it comes at a great cost in rewriting history. Well, you know, and it looks, it looks and feels very familiar. You know, whenever you, uh, when you hear these reports, it kind of resonates with you and say, yeah, you know what, that's, that's, that's true. You mentioned earlier uh, the uh, diversity crats or diversocrats at Michigan and totaling in the numbers of 80s. It's up to 142 now uh, with a total budget, I believe, of more than $18 million. Um, studies have been shown, shown that uh, that's enough money to fund 750 full rides for four years for uh, for, for uh, minority students, which is really what they're trying to do with this, these diversocrats. But the parallel that um, we find with DEI and these these uh, this hierarchy that's been formed of, of bureaucrats who are really skilled in nothing. I think that their you know tenure in the building counts as a skill for these folks. Um, they have a parallel hierarchy here, very much like the the old Soviet NKDV had the uh, political commissars uh, embedded with with units. Now every school or every college has a diversocrat who is engaged in DEI. Well, who do these people report to? Do they report to the department head? Do they report to the college, the dean, or do they report up the line uh, in this DEI hierarchy? That's kind of unclear, um, and it. 
gives people pause. It creates a chilling effect, which was the whole idea of the old uh, political commissar um, uh, system back in uh, in the Soviet day. You know, what's really interesting is that the not only are we multiple, they're multiplying themselves like uh, malignant cells multiplying, but we're, universities all across the country are shrinking the faculty. You go back to what you said at the beginning. I think you're largely right. I, I mean, to be very blunt, most of my faculty colleagues have are on the left, either moderately or extremely. But that doesn't mean that all of them, even some of the, <clears throat> the very progressive ones, seek to destroy free speech. However, mm -hmm. what we see happening is that as, with, as the bureaucracy grows, the administration grows, all these diversity and, and all kinds of other uh, ism experts grow, we keep shrinking the faculty. And so if you, if you simply eliminated this needless level of bureaucracy, which is purely political, you got rid of that, not only could you bring in more kids, you could bring in more and better teachers as well. Uh. I think so. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, Luke, if I could shift to a second, one of the things that I find is very important is this, is that why is all of the indoctrination exactly the same on so many college campuses, uh, virtually literally every college campus uh, in America? And that is because of the, the lockstep ideology that you've identified, you've alluded to. It's crypto Maoist. It's based in uh, Paulo Freire. Paulo Freire is, a, is not a name that floats off the lips of, of the average person, but there's no one closer to being a patron saint of education schools. He was a crypto Maoist. He was not really an original thinker. He was basically borrowed all of his education theory from Mao Zedong's education theory back in the 60s and 70s at the height of the Cultural Revolution. We all know what the Cultural Revolution was um, in the sense of uh, imposing thought reform on faculty and imposing thought reform on on students. And so this is the, the, the viscera of what education schools are teaching now. And they're teaching it both to the um, the uh, teachers who are going down and teaching K through 12, and they're teaching it to certainly the uh, graduates uh, of these advanced programs in educational leadership and and uh, uh, student affairs and higher education administration. Um, I'd be happy to uh, relate to you what exactly one of these uh, brainwashing programs um, looks like. Absolutely, please do so. Well. Um, most of these brainwashing programs, you know, they're not advertised as brainwashing 101. It's not like the it's like the Soviet immigrant Joseph Brodsky said uh, in one of his one of his uh, commencement addresses to his one to Williams College. He said, you know, evil's not going to announce itself stepping over the threshold and say, I'm evil. I'm here to subvert you. That's not how evil operates. No, the fact is that these folks will um, engage in brainwashing, they'll do it surreptitiously. And they even have manuals. Believe it or not, I have actually have a brainwashing manual. Let me preface this before I show it to you, that by, by telling you where it came from, the idea of brainwashing. It comes from the social psychologist Kurt Lewin, who back in American, who back in the 1940s um, became known as the father of the encounter group. He came up with an idea that you could really, you could manipulate a person psychologically with a three-stage process. Unfreezing, changing a belief system, and then refreezing that belief system so that the, the uh, target, the student, did not backslide. Well, the communist Chinese did the very same thing throughout the 1950s on into the 1970s, still doing it now. And American cults do the very same thing. And it always starts out 
by putting the student at, at ease. Now, here is a brainwashing manual right here. I'll hold it up for you. It's called Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice, a source book. Now, several of the articles in here uh, detail how this three-stage um, transformation uh, is supposed to occur. Uh, the idea and the goal of brainwashing is to utilize psychological manipulation, behavior modification techniques uh, in a, in a uh, program uh, intentional program of destabilizing a person's sense of self, attacking a person's sense of self and identity, and then uh, attacking the belief system that's extant, removing it, and then putting in or installing their own belief system, a ready-made crypto-Maoist belief system, usually based on social justice. And then the final element of that is to engage the student in lots of uh, confirming activity. Um, to make sure that the new belief system doesn't uh, doesn't you know isn't uh, isn't it doesn't erode. Um, they call this doing the work. And you've heard this phrase before, doing the work. Well, that's the three-stage brainwash system. But um, I'm going to make sure I quote this correctly so that uh, there's no mistake here. Let me give you a quote from the brainwashing manual of how they view uh, dealing with students. Quote. This is to start with. Use low-risk self-disclosure and interaction in the early stages to establish a norm of self-disclosure. In other words, private information. If the environment is perceived as supportive, a person's defenses may be permeable. This is a quote. This is called the defending stage, the very first stage. And during this phase, students undergo, quote, challenges to their belief system in an environment that is supportive and trustworthy. Once the student is softened up with this, it moves into the second phase, which is surrendering. Uh, this is what they call it, surrendering. Students are presented social justice theory, crypto-Maoist ideology, and the process, quote, is confusing, disorienting, frightening. Students might feel out of control without known boundaries or familiar ground. They may experience strong emotion, such as anger and a sense of betrayal by those who were supposed to uh, tell them the truth about the social world. Betrayal. Now that's that's uh, they're talking about parents. They're talking about your audience, and this is why so many students come home and that that first you know November Thanksgiving dinner, and there seems like a lot of anger, pent up anger. This is because they're hearing this type of ideology and they're being programmed to behave this way. And, and finally, and this is an important uh, important quote from the book: a new set of beliefs becomes home base. For interpreting experience and creating meaning, the past is reinterpreted and reconstructed into a new frame of reference. I mean, that's the brainwash right there. It's amazing. And that second phase where they get angry and, and enraged, now that's white guilt, that's white rage. So right. they've got it pinpointed. The minute you get angry about your whole world of belief being countered, see, that's more proof that you need to listen to us. You wouldn't be angry if you surrendered all of that and come with a new paradigm. Uh-huh. Exactly right. Um, I, I think that this we have to we have to understand that these this brainwash program is not just for a particular, you know, one race of persons or one class of persons. Uh, it's for everyone. And the, the basic uh, paradigm that they're offering in this is that, um, and let me make sure I get this right, this is from Bell Hooks, who's one of the most famous of the brainwashers with critical race theory, etc. Um, these programs identify students, as you note, uh, as either dominant racial beneficiaries of privilege or as oppressed victims. It's one or the other. And what is the victims of what? 
Here's a quote from, uh, uh, from a, a famous brainwasher, the late Bell Hooks. Fine novelist, but that's about it. An imperialist, capitalist, white supremacist, patriarchal politics that constitute the dominator culture as exemplified by dominator thinking. That's her quote. And it's a primitive Manichaean villains and victims, oppressor and oppressed worldview, and it's the only perspective that students receive in these workshops or these brainwash, brainwash sessions. I mean, it's it's it really is you you are basically deprogramming a cult. What you're talking about is the way to step backwards. And so so you have to expand upon that. Well, I have a number of uh, well, my book is about um, the fact that um, you know, that there is indeed a campaign, widespread campaign of uh, brainwashing on ongoing and on all of our campuses by virtue of the student affairs bureaucracy and other. Uh, bureaucrats who are uh, in, who have made their, their way onto the campus through the side door of chain migration hiring. Uh, well, I've identified who these people are, what the harm is that they're doing, what the ideology is. Now, what can we do about it? And that's what I want to speak today about parents uh, to parents that want to, you know, the book Brutal Minds. This is this is my book Brutal Minds, and in the last section, I talk about what we can do as parents, as alumni, as students, as donors, to reverse this process. Now you know as well as I do that reforming higher education from the top down is going to take a, a lot of years. We see a lot of good signs right now down in Florida, Texas, and Iowa, but um, that's going to take a while. Parents with kids going into college now want information that they can that they can use. Um, what are the signs of, of a brainwash? That's the first thing I would say, uh, other than just other than just buy the book and read it. <laughs> what I would say right now that's usable is the fact that if you are invited or required to go to a workshop, and you, usually they're oddly named, you're invited to. And go into a difficult dialogue, or a courageous conversation, or a racial caucus, or a brave space, or a safe space. That's how they're kind of weirdly named. And they're going to be invited to quote, make yourself vulnerable. And you'll find this facilitator, or this faculty member who is modeling vulnerability. Um, and, and they're saying, we want you to disclose your feelings. We want you to basically um, fess up to uh, an awful lot of stuff that they have no business knowing personal information. They will utilize games. And one of the primary games that they utilize is called the privilege walk, in which you're lined up and you're asked a series of questions, which is really a survey. And according to the answer you give, you either walk forward or you walk back. And at the end, you are marked as someone either with lots of privilege, which is marked you for the rest of your time in college, because you revealed all this private information, or you walked as, or you identified as someone who has internalized oppression, uh, probably. Um, and that's an example of a revelation game or an interrogation game where that kind of information is teased out of the student. Anytime you see these kinds of markers, um, and by the way, that's, that is probably illegal. Uh, without the informed consent of students. Uh, so anytime you see these markers this, um, that, uh, that you can um, uh, identify as a brainwash program, um, it's a sign that you probably ought to back off or to uh, engage in some of the activities that I list as uh, possible courses of action in Brutal Minds. Stanley, this is going to be part one, I guarantee you, because we're just getting okay. into this wonderful book. So while we wind down this first part, close with this. 
What would you, as a mom and dad, tell your sons and daughters when they were going off? If you had to give them one piece of advice or one or two pieces of advice to avoid the trap, what would you tell them? I tell them to be go in and don't be scared. Don't be frightened because they count on freshmen being frightened. It's a new world. It's a, a brand new situation. Uh, don't accede to their authority automatically, okay? And with the the, the, the uh, tools and techniques I've given and provided in Brutal Minds, you should be sufficiently armed to take care of it. Stanley Ridgely, this is the book, Mom and Dad. This is Brutal Minds. you got to get this. Read it with your kids before they go to college. If they're in college now, have them. Pay them. Do what you got to do to sit down and read this book with you. Stanley, we're going to have you back. But real quick, how can people get a copy of this, or how could they contact you? Oh, you can get a copy of it on, on Amazon. It's uh, there. Wherever fine books are sold, Barnes & Noble. And, um, and you can also go to my website, BrutalMinds.com, which will simply route you to the proper place to, uh, to uh, purchase the book. Dr. Ridgely, it was a great pleasure speaking with you today. For all of us at The Dr. Duke Show, thanks for watching The Dr. Duke Show, and we'll see you next time.